Oh, you can turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. I do want to thank all the men who the last several weeks have preached and given you the word. What a great feast it has been the last several weeks. And I don't know how long it's been. Maybe it's been a couple of months. I've lost track. Uh, but uh, thank you for that time to be with my family as we received a little uh, baby London to our home. Um, so thank you, men, for just a wonderful time uh, to worship, uh, receiving that word. Our topic for today, beloved, is run your race. You need to run your race uh, for Christ's sake and for your good. There are a lot of biblical metaphors for the Christian life in the Bible. I don't know if you've uh, recognized this. I'll just keep my comments to a few here, but uh, these aren't all of them. But here's a couple of them. Uh, First, there are agricultural metaphors for the Christian life. Psalm 1, the Christian who abides in Christ is like a tree planted by streams of water, right? Gains his nourishment and his uh, food from Christ. Or we are branches, John 15, that abide in the vine and we bear fruit for Christ's sake. There are animal metaphors in the scriptures about the Christian life. Psalm 23, John 10, the Christian is, whether you like this or not, um, probably not, uh, the Christian is like a sheep in need of a shepherd, in desperate need of a shepherd to guide us, to protect us, uh, to give us those green pastures that we need in the Christian life. Our enemies, therefore, are uh, wolves. Kind of sounds like something out of Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings, wolves, snakes, dragons, and beasts, Genesis 3, Revelation 12 and 13. You have the kingdom metaphors, 1 Peter 2, Christians are a holy nation. We are citizens of a heavenly country, we are traveling to a heavenly homeland as this life is not our home, Hebrews chapter 12. 2 Corinthians 5, the Christian who tells of this great king of Jesus Christ is an ambassador, an emissary for our great king. Last one, just for today. We have the athletic metaphors of the Christian life in the Bible. A Christian who stands against the devil's schemes is a soldier. Ephesians 6. A Christian who obeys is an athlete who competes according to the rules. 2 Timothy chapter 2. The one who is disciplined in prayer, scripture reading, and corporate worship is said to have trained oneself in godliness, 1 Timothy 4. And the Christian who finishes his life well, concentrating on the prize that crown Jesus Christ is one like a marathon runner who ran his race with endurance. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. The author of Hebrews, in this gallery of faith, in this chapter 11, listed such runners, has he not? Abel, Noah, Abraham, Moses, all ran faithfully to the end. And the author wants you to do the same. 
And so instead of lingering on David and Jephthah and Samuel and Rahab, the author picks up the pace. Maybe he's running out of parchment. I don't know. And I mean that, actually. Maybe he was. Maybe he's running out of room and says, i got to get on with other things i got to tell these people. Well, he picks up the pace because he wants to rush on to Jesus. He wants our gaze on the Lord Jesus Christ. And for that reason, we stand as we honor the reading of God's Word as we read Hebrews eleven twenty nine to chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. It's a longer reading this morning, so if you're unable to stand the entire time, you can have a seat. Verse 29, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not cherish with those who were diso- or did not perish, excuse me, with those who were disobedient, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of the living God. You can have a seat. In order to run your race, beloved, uh, there are three R's you need to have or to do. Here is your first are realize your privilege in Christ. Realize your privilege 
in Christ. Verse 39 and verse 40 is a fascinating set of verses. And I'm going to attempt to explain them to you, and they get harder as it goes on. All right? Realize your privilege in Christ. We're just looking at verses 39 and 40 right now. So put your thinking caps on as if they weren't on already, which I never understood that phrase, right? When did you take them off? I don't know. All right. And all these, so that's simple, right? That's David and Rahab and Samuel, the people of Israel, right? And all these. Are we there? All right. It's going to get tougher. And all these, though commended through their faith, so it is true that Old Testament Christians had true saving faith. You know this, they were not saved by works. They were saved by faith. That's a little harder, but still pretty easy. They were commended for their faith. Not perfect faith. Sometimes you look at people in this list, you're like, Jephthah. Not perfect faith, but faithful faith, right? Did not receive what was promised. Hmm. What does that mean? I think it means... The serpent-crushing seed of the woman was not given in their time. I see some head nodding. I think it means Daniel's glorious son of man was not given in their time. I think it means Isaiah's suffering servant was not given during their time. You catching on? They didn't receive what was promised. They were not given, that is the old covenant people of God, the full flowering of the promises they knew and wrote about. Instead, as chapter 11 verse 13 says, they greeted them from afar. That makes sense? So they did not receive what was promised. Meaning all of those promises, they greeted them from afar. They were not given them at that time. Okay. Still with me? Why didn't they? Verse 40 gives us the answer. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. What does that mean? It's getting harder, isn't it? I take that to mean there was something better 
that God was waiting to fully reveal at a further proper time. So that his new covenant people of God and his old covenant people would be one. Okay? In other words, God was storing something up so that we would be truly family and Abraham's descendants. Okay? The question now is, what is that something? Right? Look at, your, look at verse 40. What is the something better? Well, do you remember when Jesus said, in another cryptic phrase, among those born of women, no one is greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he? Remember that? That sounds an awful lot like this passage. There's a, there's a transition, a, a hinge somewhere. Now, the only way someone can be better than John, who was the greatest of all Old Testament prophets, is by experiencing something John never fully realized. And Jesus says that something is the kingdom of heaven. So... That leads me to believe that the something better here in Hebrews 11 is the arrival of Jesus Christ. You tracking? The something better is the full flowering of all of those promises that have now come to be fully realized in the Lord Jesus Christ. The something better is the kingdom of God and the establishment of it now. The, the something better is the Son of God taking on flesh. The something better is the bringing down of the devil in today. And I think the subtle point being made here, if I can get back to the point, is to realize your privilege in Christ in the days in which we live. Do you know what your privileges are as a Christian? Or are you living as if you're just a normal person? Did you know you're not just a normal person. That's our problem in the Christian life, isn't it? Losing sight and living below our privilege in Christ. My friends, if we have received something better than Old Testament believers, namely the coming of Jesus Christ 
and the establishment of his kingdom, then surely you and I can overcome the obstacles of faith like they overcame theirs. Christ has become your Savior. He's become your dying King. And in Him lies every spiritual blessing you could ever want. Did you know that? Or could ever need. I've read of one that just the other day. Uh, John 14, 23. You can turn there if you like. Boys and girls, I want you to hear this too. John 14, 23. Jesus is talking to His disciples. They're, they're sad. He's going to go away. They don't know what's going on. And He says to His disciples, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Are you someone, Christian, whom the triune God looks at? And says, I want to make my home in that individual. Boys and girls, are you someone that you drive home with your parents and say, you know, mom and dad, I want to be someone that the father looks at and the son looks at. And I, I want to be someone in whom God makes his home. This is but one advantage, one privilege we have in Christ. And you know what? There are thousands more in Scripture. Well, we need to be moving on. Number two, if we need to realize your privilege in Christ, then secondly, you need to rid yourself. You need to rid yourself of every hindrance to spiritual usefulness. You need to rid yourself of every spiritual hindrance. There's a phrase here in chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight which, and sin which clings so closely. I want you to know that the exhortation contained in this verse is expressed with the greatest possible urgency lay aside put away take care that nothing stops you from running your course so as to win the crown of the upward call of the lord jesus christ it is, this is something that involves training and vigor and steadfastness in the christian life and there are two things did you see it there are two things we must lay aside or rid ourselves of every weight one and two sin every weight one and second sin some think these are the same they are not that is grammatically impossible First, we must lay aside or rid ourselves of every weight. What does that mean? 
Well, every weight or things that are innocent in of themselves, but nonetheless left unchecked, unregulated, or used in excess, can hinder spiritual usefulness. Sports, golf, hiking, movies, exercise. These are all things I love, by the way. Social media, not so much. Our view of grandkids, our view of work, The author of Hebrews says how easily the use of good things, weights, can hinder our spiritual usefulness and fruitfulness in the progress of faith. Second, we are to lay aside the sin, it says, the sin which clings so closely I want you to know, listen to this, the greatest danger to your soul, beloved, is not the sin of others, but the sin within. That sinful selfishness that abides in one's own heart, that is the greatest danger to your race. And this is a basic fundamental of the Christian faith, but so often forgotten. Your biggest problem is you. The Apostle Paul, like the author of Hebrews, urges us, let not sin reign in your mortal body. Romans 6.12 Christianity, therefore, without mortification, is anemic Christianity. If you do not mortify sin, you will die. But, if by the Spirit, Romans 8, you mortify the sinful nature, you will live. As that wonderful hymn says, Be thou my breastplate, my sword for the fight. Be thou my whole armor. Be thou my true might. Be thou my soul's shelter. Be thou my strong tower. O raise thou me heavenward, great power of my power. Yes, indeed. John Owen wrote, quote, He who does not kill sin in his way, in his way, in his way, takes no steps towards his journey's end. Are you taking steps towards your end, friend? Or is the abuse of the good and the parasitical nature of sin hindering you from spiritual fruitfulness? This is hard work, isn't it? To kill sin. 
And I don't know if this is what the apostle who wrote this letter was thinking this, but he does say something quite encouraging. He knows how difficult this task is. I think it's hard. So, he supports his exhortation by reminding you that you are, quote, verse 1, surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. It's as if the author is saying, dear Christian, listen to those in the grandstands of life. To those gone before you. They're cheering you on. Rahab, David, Samuel, Samson, all of them. They're saying to us today, we once struggled as you now struggle. But dear Christian, you will conquer as we have conquered. So onward, onward, onward. Rid yourself of every weight and sin that clings to you, impeding your progress of faith. It's so interesting, friends, that though we play an away game, God has scattered throughout the crowd of this world His people to cheer us on. We play an away game. And yet, His people are everywhere cheering you on in your race. Well, if we need to realize your privilege in Christ and you need to rid yourself of every hindrance that impedes spiritual fruitfulness, lastly and most importantly, you need to run your race looking to Jesus You need to run your race looking to Jesus. Verses 1 and 2 again, he says, uh, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. My friends, this is where the apostle has been wanting to get to all along. Yes, he loves David and Abel and Enoch and Abraham. They're all great men and women of the faith, but he really wants to rush on to Jesus. That's where we all want to be. That's who we all want to see. Jesus. Now, it's tempting, I think, to, to view Jesus here as merely the final portrait of faith. The ultimate example of the one who lived and died by faith. That's true theologically and biblically, but I'm not persuaded that's why Jesus appears here. Jesus is not described as simply one who finished better than the rest. As another runner in the race, though again, that's true. Rather, Jesus is described here as the one we look to in our race. The one we have our faith in and the one the Old Testament people of God had their faith in, although in shadowy Old Testament 
form. Now, uh, look at verse 2. The participle looking. Boys and girls, you know what participles are, right? Yes, you do. The participle looking in verse 2 denotes, hear this, looking away from the nearest object upon which we typically look. Circumstances, trials, hopes, dreams. Looking has a connotation of looking away from the nearest things that we typically look and onto an object upon which the eye is deliberately fastened. In other words, if you want to run your race with endurance, that race set before you, your looking cannot be fixed on things which are so apt to discourage you. You following me? Instead, our eyes must shift to another object who at times is harder to see. Yes, he is. But unlike our circumstances, so apt to enliven us, so apt to invigorate us, so apt to sanctify us, so apt to save us. And that object is Christ himself. It's the difference between Jesus in the picture and Jesus in focus. Now, what exactly are we to focus upon? As you run your race, your race of faith, and you're looking to Christ, what are you to see in Jesus? Well, he tells us. Don't you love it when the Bible does this? Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Four things you must see in Jesus as you run your race. I'll end with these. One, he is the founder and perfecter of your faith. I love this. He is the originator. He is the originator and finisher, the initiator and closer. The closer of your faith. He is that person when called upon. If you want to stick with a sports analogy, that, that closer from the bullpen. That when, when, he, when he comes in, when called upon, when looked to, the opposing team says, we have no chance. He's the finisher of your faith. Philippians 1, 6, do you hear the echo? He who began a good work in you, beloved, will bring it to completion to the day of Jesus Christ. You don't bring it to completion. Christ does. He is the founder and perfecter of your faith. You may not be today what you want to be. What did John Newton say? I'm not 
what I want to be. And I'm not what I will be. But I'm not what I once was. I'm not what I once was. He's the the founder and perfecting perfecter of your faith. Just keep looking to him. And bring your sin and bring your weight to him. And he'll do the rest. He'll do the rest. Second. It says who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. This is amazing. The cross for Jesus, I read this, was not only a place of sorrow. It was a place of joy. Joy, because there he would win his bride. And joy, because there he would glorify God. I don't know about you, but I'm so happy God is happy. Right? What an amazing truth. God is infinitely happy and joyful even at the hour of His most pain. For Jesus, dying for sinners was a joyous work. Beloved, never forget that. Never forget that. Don't take it from me, Isaiah 53, 11. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. Wow. Three, he despised the shame. He despised the shame. I take this to me, the disgrace of crucifixion, physically speaking, and the cursedness of dying for sinners, spiritually speaking, did not deter Jesus from coming after you in grace. That's how I read that. He looked at the cross and what it meant for shame and he said, I'll take that in order to get them. I hate being embarrassed. I feel so ridiculous and alone. I hate being shamed. And Jesus says, I'll take it so that I can have you. Four. I'm done after this one. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is what we call his session. And boys and girls, if this is not in your Bible, you should not worship Jesus. If he did not rise and ascend and sit on the throne, he's not worthy to be praised. 
As priest king, Jesus sat down and his work of redemption was finished. Sitting is the posture of completion. Right hand is the position of power. So the point being made here is that Christ has the highest place in all the universe. And so I say to you, therefore, beloved, dear Christian, you have nothing to fear. Christ is above every name, every king, every sin, every weakness, trial, temptation. There Jesus is the founder and perfecter of your faith, ruling over all. Run your race looking to Jesus. Onward, onward, onward. Let's pray. Our great God, what a joy it is. What a joy it is to be among your people today. To sing your praises. To receive your word. Might you implant this word even now. Don't give up, Lord. Don't give up on the preached word and the, and the heard word. Don't give up. But plant it within us deep and abiding way that Christ may be praised. And for our good, we pray in His name. Amen.